Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hi, this is Michael Waits from Asia Tech Podcast Stories. I am with Guy Hearn, the Chief Investment Officer of Omnicon Media. Omnicon, Omnicon, big, big company, yeah? I mean, one of the leading companies, advertising, marketing, corporate communications. It's like the whole suite of things, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we obviously, our, uh, our base is in uh, what, are, what used to be called... Uh, Creative agencies, you know, advertising agencies, but uh, I uh, I work across the uh, the uh, the media division, and we we have lots of uh, smaller businesses doing all sorts of uh, all sorts of specialist services. But one small correction: I'm the uh, chief innovation officer, not the chief investment officer. Sorry, lots of CIOs. See, but see that? No, but see that? That's what I have on my brain, right? And that's my problem: is that I come out of that career of like being spending way too many years at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, and when I see CIO, my brain just processes yeah. it without me thinking so chief innovation officer i stand yeah. we, all have, we all have to be cios these days everybody's <laughs> a cio <laughs> you could be the chief information but you're not that either you're the chief innovation. Exactly. so what what does that mean actually so on the media services side of the business what are you mm. doing actually so if um it's our it's our um it's our job to to make sure that our that our clients um Messages and uh, and content um, get in front of the you know the right time the right people at the uh, the right time and the right place and hopefully in the uh, the right mindset so that we can uh, we can uh, we can make an impact and um, help the brands we work for tell their stories and um, and get some uh, get engagement from the consumers that they want it's it's a difficult challenge these days because obviously it's a it's a very uh, um, cluttered uh, marketing environment and there's uh, Many new platforms uh, which you can uh, you can potentially communicate with uh, with people, so it's all quite dynamic, very fast changing. The last uh, two or three years, what we're doing is, has changed has changed a, a lot, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a really exciting area to be in. New opportunities present themselves every day. Can you just walk me through this a little bit? Like I do a lot of work, obviously, I'm in the media business as well, right? But I do a lot of work mm. on the flip side, right? Whether it's advertising or public relations. Mm. And you're right, just trying to figure out, is it Facebook? Is it Twitter? Is it Snapchat? Is it Instagram? And that's just mm. that's just the new stuff. You know, that doesn't bring in television and, yeah. you know, radio, which still exists, right? And yep. other pod. I, I'm going to keep, I just, there's so much stuff. How do you figure it out and what do you focus on? Yeah, so I think a, a, a lot depends on the you know on the type of on the type of uh, challenges that uh, the, the clients are trying to solve. I mean, you're you're, you're right. I mean, t- TV <laughs> TV still exists, and um, and uh, a lot of a lot of people uh, a lot of people still watch it. It's just the, a question that we don't necessarily we don't have people's undivided attention as uh, as we uh, as we used to have, and people are you know on multiple devices uh, multiple devices at the same time. So it's a question of uh, uh, of what's the of what's the really about what the right time right time and right place is right. So if I want to if I want to talk to you about uh, you know your breakfast options at a uh, uh, at a fast uh, or QS what we call QSR a fast food outlet right what's what's the best best time and place and medium to do that in you know are you going to respond to that if you see an ad for it on on TV while you're watching TV the night before. Yeah, maybe, maybe you maybe you might make a date for breakfast with somebody. It's possible. It's possible, or is it more likely that uh, while on your on your mobile device on the bus or the train or um dr- or driving to work, that uh, that that uh, particular bit of information or that particular message might hit you when you are 
are actually feeling hungry and feel and feeling like uh, some breakfast stuck in a stuck in a traffic jam. So it's really about it's really about the time and place and context and the and the speed of, uh, the speed of the the purchase cycle, right? So you know people can make a decision to buy fast food, you know, twice a day if they if they want to do so. They'll make a decision to buy uh, you know a household consumable washing powder or something, you know, maybe once a month or every two months. But you make a decision to buy a car. Um, every three, four, five, five years. So, right. how do we keep our brand? Uh, how do we keep the brand in your consideration set when you enter that research, uh, that research phase? When you go from, you know, I, I really should change my car to, yeah, now I'm definitely going to go and uh, buy a new car. How do we make sure that we're relevant? And presence. So when you start making that decision, we're in your consideration set. Yeah, and also, how do you reconcile this whole concept of like television itself is measurable, but not nearly as measurable as you know click-throughs? And we can argue mm. a lot about whether that click-through really matters or not. Because is it robotic? Is it you know part of a mm. real-time bidding? All, all this kind of stuff matters. But how do you reconcile like the data that you do have versus yeah. the data that you think you have really? And I'm really curious, right? And again, I'm I'm just really trying to figure out from my business perspective how do i measure that yeah so you're so you're right so measurement um measurement challenges are one of the one of the things that uh take up uh take up a, a lot of my time and how do we and how do we get better at doing that right so for instance in um in uh in uh, what we still call a digital um a digital environment or, or digital platforms you're right there are metrics like uh, click-through rates and things which you know you tell us something but they're they're not. They're not particularly uh, good measure. Good measure of success. We we're we're working on things uh, such as uh, a cost of uh, per value and uh, valued impression, and we're working on on all that sorts of elements around uh, around viewability and trying to create currencies around uh, uh, viewability. So to, to try to make to make sure that uh, we are paying uh, on behalf of our brands, publishers for um, you know for content or impressions that people actually see it's not buried below the fold on the page you can't see it it's not not optimized for mobile so you don't see it it may play but nobody paid any attention to it all of those things so the challenges the challenges of measurements um are huge and there's a lot of work going on in in an area that's called um uh multi-touch digital attribution uh where you apply certain weights uh to uh to actions that consumers take on the way to to the goal that you want uh, you want them to take, and finding the best and most efficient pathways uh, for them to do it. So you know, it's when I say things have changed the last couple of years. You know, five years ago I used to employ uh, people with, for example, uh, research backgrounds, but now um, I employ employ people with computer science and uh, mathematical right. backgrounds. Right. Yeah. And it's and you know the whole area of what people call data uh, data science, not necessarily always accurately, but what they call data science is becoming more and more uh, more and more important. So, so I, I have a team a team of mathematicians who are working on advanced models to do it to do it to do exactly that to try get our uh, our measurement frameworks better, and so that we can uh, that we can improve our um, efficiency and our impact. Right. So this is actually really interesting to me. And actually, this gets back to the mistake that I made at the beginning of this conversation when I said chief investment officer. And let me give you a little bit of context. And I'd love to know what you think about this. This is a common theme for me, right? But again, it may be my embedded bias, but I'm just curious. So, you know, back in the old days, when I was sitting on an equity trading desk, all of those equity um, exchanges became electrified right so electronic in other words yep. we used to call somebody on the floor and then we didn't we just had an electronic connection to the floor and it changed the way we traded right 
So in the old days, I think it mirrors actually what you're talking about. We had a lot of people sitting on the trading desk that did research. This stock is going up. That stock is going down. And then we made trading decisions based on that. And we had a lot more time too because if it was necessary to make a phone call or even to insert a disk into a disk drive to make a decision, we had plenty of time to make that decision. But as technology improved, what we saw was that the math around trading, the trends around trading, and the electronic trading systems made it much more efficient to start employing fewer research people and more mathematicians and computer science people because they could then determine how past behavior impacted future behavior and then how to build algorithms. I'm sure this is all sounding really familiar to you around that activity. And so when I look at the advertising business, and we're just talking about one part of your business, but when I look at the ad, ad business, whether it's an RTB system or a DSP system, to me it just seems like a trading system. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it is about um, a lot of it is about trading uh, trading efficiency. You're right. I mean, not necessarily um, all the listeners will 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 know this, but right. uh, um, you know, obviously, you know, <clears throat> if you land on uh, on the front page of you know your favorite newspaper, um, and if I land on the um, on that same front page, we're not going to be served necessarily served uh, the same messages, right? Because right. you you and my my profile may look com uh, completely different uh, different to each other and those you know those those decisions those bidding decisions are made in are made in real time based on you know, the yeah. time microseconds between you you calling up the URL and landing and uh, landing on that page yeah absolutely so it is it is very similar to and in fact we call the uh, the, the bits of the business that do that type of work we call them trading desks yeah because they it's a, it's a, it's exactly what goes on we build uh, better and better predictive um, algorithms based on the on the on the data and information that, that we have in place, and hopefully we get more more and more efficient at it. There is a slight um, downside to the to this though, which we which we have to which we have to um, watch out for. And one of those things is that we can only we can only uh, base uh, the the algorithms and the decisions based on uh, the behaviour that we can see that that. Uh, that that person, or rather, not that person, but that device, um, has um, has engaged with before. When there's no information, right? We have nothing. We know we have nothing to predict on. And I always, I always uh, give the the example of this, like for, uh, which applies to me. Uh, I've always um, dreamed of going, uh, an ambition to go to Antarctica for a, for a, for a vacation, right? Right. And I have never done anything online, as far as I'm aware, that would give anybody any indication that that, that, that was my plan. You know, I haven't researched any trips. I don't look at, you know, Antarctic websites. There's nothing really other than, you know, broad, uh, broad profiling that would tell anybody that. As such, I have never been uh, served any content uh, about a trip to Antarctica, whereas, you know, if you got me at the right time, uh, right time of year, when I was feeling, feeling like a vacation and I had some, and I had some money, then it might be a successful thing to do. So we do have to we do have to watch out for over targeting people just to be on the assumption that things that you have done before are the only predictor of things you want to do. Right. I mean, if you lend your phone to your daughter mm. and she looks up, you know, I'm going to date myself, but like Miley Cyrus or who knows who it is, right? But some <laughs> pop star who's probably not current at, right now. Sorry about that. Um, but then you're going to keep getting served stuff like that. I see it. I do. I test retargeting all the time on myself, right? So I'll input yep. something into a browser just to see what happens. And it's, it amazes me how quickly that browser reacts. But I see, I, and again, I, I love this whole concept of having a trading desk at an advertising agency and also running back end algorithms, right? That RTB, again, real people don't know this, but it's real time bidding. 
And yep. I see, I wonder what one of the things that we saw, and I hadn't even thought about talking to you about this, but now that we're here, if you don't mind, right? Mm. One of the things that we saw was what we called system spoofing, right? In other words, if I can place a bid, I can also place an offer. And that means yep. that I can literally have multiple bids at different price levels for different securities. And I mean, ad space is really just a security in this example. Mm. And that means that when other people start bidding above me, I can actually pull my bid and make sure that they're overpaying for a security. Do you think you see any of that kind of spoofing in that market as well? Look, it's a, it's a really, really good point. I haven't personally um, seen, um, seen much evidence of that. I mean, in, in Asia, we are maybe probably properly two years into what we, what we call a, you know, a programmatic environment or algo, algorithmized uh, bidding environment. And I haven't personally seen that, but given that all the, all the people working on this are very much, are very much taking their, their cues from uh, markets such as uh, financial equities market, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, it's another thing that we have have to battle with we all already have to battle with it as you mentioned previously we we already have to battle with fraudulent fraudulent traffic and with and with uh, uh, and with bots and um, and various other elements that means that you know not all of our not all of the um, the uh, the buyers are against uh, genuine inventory we have to worry about brand safety issues and making sure that we're not putting our brands in environments where they wouldn't where they wouldn't want to be and it's I think that's another that's another issue that we going to have to look out for you yeah. yeah so again this gets really interesting right and it gets very meta so in the financial industry we had to worry about high frequency trading right a lot of co-location mm -hmm. so put your server closer to the exchange and in, in our cases the exchange were well-defined lo locations right so if i put a mm -hmm. server in wherever the new york stock exchange or the tokyo stock exchange was and if my wire was shorter than your wire i mean for for simplicity's sake i could trade faster than you and I made a lot of money, not I, but I could make a lot of money doing that. I, I think it's kind of different in this market. But what ended up happening was, you know, it get, became really hard to regulate whether that HFT trading was actually good or bad for the market. But in the, mm. in the ad space, is there a regulator like that that can then define what those rules should be? Or is it more just like, no, no right? No, there isn't. I mean, the the um, I mean, the the regulations vary from uh, vary from country country to country, but essentially, it is essentially it's self regulated according to um, different standards, which different you know um, industry bodies um, in different in different countries want to put in place. But no, it is not regulated to that extent. No. Right, and that's interesting because what I see is, you know, again back in the financial markets. It just became a really big problem and to put regulators in a bad situation. There was a lot of sort of storm and drang around that. But you actually have an opportunity then, right? Because if you can show your clients that not we're outside that market, but we're above that market, we actually mm. know how to use all this data better than everybody else. And that's where your data scientists and your mathematicians and computer science teams come in. If we can actually mine that data better than everybody else, we can actually provide you better service. So for you, I think all that noise is an opportunity, I think. It is an opportunity to to show that we can we can do things better and better doesn't necessarily um, always be uh, always mean um, mean mean faster. It just it right. mean better in terms of as I say, for many of our clients, brand safety is a is a huge issue. You know, you don't necessarily want to be buying um, cheap inventory which may have high viewership if it puts you in an environment with um, either content or. Uh, content that you don't like or beliefs that you don't uh, that you don't believe your your customers would respect. So it's there's a lot, there's a lot of issues around that, and I think where we're getting to in the in the next couple of years, and I 
think this is where it's going to, things are going to turn really interesting is I think as our personal devices uh, get smarter and turn more into um, more into personal assistance than simply you know smartphones right. and start to be able to and you start to be able to make able to outsource decisions to your device then we're going to get into an area where we're actually marketing to machines rather than to people at least to, to at least to some extent so we're you know you you're not going to make a decision about where to go on holiday or something else that you care about um, you're not going to make that, outsource that decision but your decision is to for things that are commodified for you that you don't really care about, as uh, so, you know, what washing powder you use, or you know, wh- whatever else, uh, whatever else is just a, um, is just a commodified decision. You're gonna you're gonna empower your uh, an algorithm in your personal uh, personal device to make those decisions for you. You know, based on based on price, or based on environmental factors, or based on whatever else is important to you to you as a consumer. And then we will have to mark market to that algorithm as opposed to marketing to a, to a human being's eyeballs at least for something and i think that's where all of it when all of this is going to get really interesting when it's basically algorithms speaking to other algorithms right so that's what i want that's really interesting right so and we again we saw this you know a, a trader's not making a decision the the machine's making it but then the exchange is making those decisions about how to place those bids and offers it's really interesting but then mm. what does it mean for a brand right like pick a big brand the, the whole idea around an ad and again, I'm simplifying it. I'm not an expert. I'm just saying what I think, right? But the whole idea sure. is, you know, I want to buy a pair of sneakers and I can make a choice between Adidas and Puma and Nike, let's say. And I'm sorry if I've chosen the wrong brands for that. But but you, but you know what sorry. I mean, right? I don't work for any of those, so that's fine. Good. Wow. <laughs> Lucky for me. <laughs> no lawsuits, no problems. Um, but if I pick one of those... The idea is, like you said, if I'm getting closer and closer to the sort of time and place that I'm going to make that decision and I see an, and I'm indifferent and I see an ad for Nike, I'm going to go buy a pair of Nike sneakers. That's the idea that it's slightly, you know, I get to make a decision. But if it's an algorithm that has predetermined what I prefer and then you mm. sort of market to that preference, where mm. do I lose, like, where do I gain my own ability to be, like, more deterministic about what I do and yeah. what I buy? So, uh- so I think it's all it's all going to be about uh, about the extent to the extent to which you genuinely you genuinely care about the uh, the item at hand and look you know so you know, buying a pair of um, running shoes is that you know obviously it's to, to some extent a personal uh, a personal a personal preference whereas I say you 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 may personally not care at all what shampoo you have in the bathroom or what's or what soap you have in the bathroom you know they may or may all be much of a muchness. The thing with um, the thing that uh, you know those those three um, sneaker companies will have to do is not only just provide you with the right offer as you get to that moment of truth when you're making a decision. You know, with locational targeting now, we know. I know this sounds a bit scary sometimes, but we know mm. when your your device uh, when your device goes in goes into the mall, right? And we know when your device is near a is near a is near a shoe shop or a sporting goods shop. We know that, and we we know that because most people will leave open. Um, apps like, and I'm just just as an example, Facebook, right? And you leave that open. You don't close it and open it up. So it's constantly pinging for a signal every thirty seconds or ninety seconds, right? So we know, so we know, so we know a lot about the um, about the, your location. So if you're going into, if you're going into a mall, and we know there's a sports store in the mall, and we know from some of your browsing behavior, or rather, I should always make this plain, right? It's your device's behavior, not you. We don't right. know that it's a right. certain you know it's Michael. Being. Yeah, I don't know it's Michael. I know it's I. I, I device ID one two three four right right you know you know that address basically 
Yeah, and so the, the, the dev- that device ID we also know has been looking has been looking uh, for or has been looking at you know an e-commerce site around uh, around sports shoes, or we know that been reading an article about them. The uh, you know the, the marathon coming up in two weeks, right? So we know we know various contextual information that can lead us to make a make a decision and say, yeah, good chance that this guy this device is in the is in the market to buy some running shoes. Then you can then you can put forward some sort of a some then all the, all the various brands can bid for the opportunity to to show you something um, about their brand, be that an offer or be it a piece of uh, piece of brand content. And I think one of the other things around this is that. You know, advertising itself is, go- is going to um, change. So the, the messages you see from um, brands in the future, in the very near future, are going to be less like your traditional 30-second um, TV spot. And they're going to be much more about providing ut- um, a utility and providing something useful for you to consumer. So uh, in the case of running shoes, it might be, hey, Michael, you know, um, we can, uh, if you just go in here, we can take a, uh, we can take a mold of your foot, and then every time you want to order a pair of running shoes in the future from any of our stores anywhere in the world, you can just hit this thing on your app, and they're going to come and arrive at your house, right? So in terms, of, in terms of making making um, things uh, easier for you, or giving you that experience, and say, hey. Do you want, you know, does, do you, do you like white running shoes, black running shoes? Well, we haven't got any black ones, but we'll 3D print some and send them back to, and send them over to your place in, right. in however long it takes to print that, right? So I think a lot of it is going to be about providing useful convenience and utility to consumers rather than necessarily always showing a 30 second, um, you know, emotion building, brand building film of some description. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like, and again, I'm not a normal consumer, right? I don't watch television, and frankly, I don't listen to a lot of radio. And to be fair, I haven't even lived in my home country, whatever that means anymore, in almost 30 years, right? So, yep. and that and that makes me kind of a unique consumer. But I'm just really like, I don't. I've been thinking for a long time about how NFC chips and you know Bluetooth beacons and all this stuff will create this sort of lo- really hyper local advertising model. Yep. Um, and I, you know, I hear conversations about it a lot, but I don't see it in my own day-to-day life yet. Even though I know the technology, both from a hardware perspective, from a software perspective, and from a desirability perspective, is there. I just don't see it yet. Is it coming soon, or is it already it's there coming. and I just don't notice? It, it is coming. I mean, I think there's a there's a lot of test and there's a lot of test and learn being done uh, in, in these sort of areas, in these sort of areas at the moment. And there's a lot of work being done on um, using. Uh, uh, near field uh, and beacons, for instance, uh, to create uh, to create service ex- uh, experiences, right? So, in principle, by the you know you walk into the bank branch, if anyone does that anymore, or you work into the retail the retail uh, the re- you walk into the retail uh, retail store, and, and the uh, the assistant who who comes to help you will will already know certain things about your your status to you as a uh, to them as a customer and your past. Uh, purchase behavior before before you get to go and speak to them. So there's a lot of experimentation uh, going on in those in those areas. Has anybody is there any in you know is there any real um, tangible example to um, to point to in uh, um, not that many, but there's a lot of testing work being done. Yeah, I mean, and I just actually while we were talking about this, I just thought about it. There's a company in Thailand. I think it was bought mm. by TripAdvisor called Etigo, right? And the whole point was. Mm. You know, what's the restaurant around you and what's the deal that's associated with that restaurant as long as you give the app the ability to understand where your location is. And, you know, in America, there's all this big deal being made about privacy and location services and stuff. But to be fair, in Asia and in Southeast Asia, nobody cares. 
No, no, nobody does care. And to be honest, I, I've got a, a point of view about um, privacy, which I think maybe is slightly, slightly contrary to the to the mainstream of things. But I honestly don't know that privacy is what people is what people care about. I mean, nobody wants to be exploited, abused, or ripped off. And of course, of, of course, people uh, don't want that. But you know, the internet was not created to provide anonymity. Um, the you know it, it it wasn't created to have a bunch of um, avatars bouncing around be, be, behaving as you want. You know, if you walk into a bricks and mortar retail store, right, you don't have anonymity. You may know the employees. You may you may run into somebody you know in the store, right? You don't have um, anonymity, and it's the same in the in the online environment. You know, when you do things, you leave a digital what we call a digital exhaust. Right, there are fragments there that fragments there that tells us things about your your behaviour, and I completely think that people should be more educated as to what that digital exhaust is and how it is generally hopefully helpful in helping to tailor things to them rather than rather than harmful so i understand that people don't want to be ripped off they don't want to be exploited but i don't think privacy is the issue i think or anonymity is the issue i think it is just i'm scared of being ripped off and we have to be very certain that nobody no consumers have experiences which lead them to feel they're being exploited or exploited or ripped off but privacy per se i think people gave that up the day that social media took off yeah and i'll actually be even more controversial than you first of all i completely agree with you but i think and if you look at the way you live your offline life right and i I will make an equivalency, right, between online and offline. So people want to be online and they want to have anonymity, maybe. Mm. Right? But in your offline life, you are actually reverse anonymous and you want it that way, right? So mm. I think about the way I live my life. I walk into my neighborhood Italian restaurant in Tokyo when I was living there. If it's really mm. good and it's a small place, I want special service. And the only way to do that is to create a relationship one-to-one -one with yep. the owner, the owner-chef, or the waiter or waitress that works there. And over time, you know this, and I think everybody, all adults know this too, you continue to go back to like the four or five places you love, and one of the reasons why you love them is because they know you. Yep. And that knowledge of you is actually just deeper than like you wear brown shoes and you're wearing a red tie. You know, you'll come in and at some point you'll be tired and they'll say, hey, guy, how was your day? And you go, oh, God, today was terrible. I can't believe it, but I'm going on vacation next week to Bali and I can't wait. And you've just given up free information. Mm. And you're and Absolutely you know, right. say it again. You know what I mean? So yeah, and, and you're not so nervous about the context of giving that information to a waiter or a waitress or a chef because you understand that they're not going to use it. I don't want to say against you, but they're not going to like you say rip you off. Yeah, but again, you may actually give up preferences to them that will then allow them to give you something more expensive on the menu or give you a better bottle of wine. Like we do this in our lives on a regular basis. And I think people that understand that understand that they've been retargeted offline their entire lives and they haven't noticed. Maybe it hasn't been as efficient, but I don't believe necessarily that it's, I mean, maybe it scales differently online for sure. But I think privacy is actually a new thing. People live their offline lives by giving away information about themselves, whether it's in a local restaurant or in just a local mm. shop. They walk in and they want people to know, Mr. You know, Mr. Hearn, welcome back. Would you like the salmon that you had last week when you came in? And can I get you a better bottle of wine than you had last time? They know all this information about you. And I think maybe the scale is different, different and the efficiency is different. But frankly, mm. I don't think that the actual activity is any different than it's been forever. 
Yeah, and I think that's the, that's fair. I mean, as we as we all know, there's nothing uh, nothing better than walking into your local bar and they automatically go for your favorite drink. Nothing better than that. Yeah. So this is the other question that I have for you, right? So you've been in this business for a long time. When like, and I I I kind of noticed this when like I was halfway through my career that I really started to better understand like what technology was going to mean, how it was going to be used more efficiently inside my business, and that if I didn't understand it. I was going to be disintermediated by people that did. Like, how do you keep up with all of the things that are going on? And it seems to me that things are moving way faster today than they were even five years ago. So, what do you do yep. to like keep up? Okay, well, I, you're, you're exactly you're exactly right because the the um, the the speed of change is remarkable. Is it is it Ray Kurzweil who says you know that every day you wake up will be the slowest speed of change you'll ever see? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, it really is like that, and it is it is hard it is hard to uh, to keep up. What I've what I realized um, uh, two to three years ago was that it was no longer possible uh, in the advertising business to be a generalist, and I've been a, I've been a generalist for much of my career and it was no the, the role of de, of generalists was disappearing you had to become a specialist in uh in in one area or another and this is when say when we did, we started hiring specialist mathematical skills etc so i realized that the other thing from a hiring pers- perspective is i think it's really important today is that when you are bringing in new new talent into the business that you bring people in not to teach them but for them to teach you and I think that's that's increasingly what we have to do. I, uh, the, the hardest challenge is actually being able to interview people for specialist skills in areas that you don't understand well yourself. So how do I know that this person is really uh, um, an expert in uh, something like pro, in something like programmatic trading? How do I know that? Because I'm not an expert myself. I understand how it works, but I'm not an expert in the implementation uh, and execution of it. I think what you really have to do is to bring in people who increase the cumulative skill sets, bring people in who are experts in what they do and give them the freedom to uh, to exert that expertise rather than to bring people in uh, to train in the old ways that you do things. I think you have to be just really open to, to new, ways of, new ways of doing things. The other thing that I that I would say is that um, uh, the, the, in these areas of change, you know, the greatest expert out there is probably only about three months ahead of you, in, ahead of you in their knowledge. And <laughs> fair so enough. Fair enough. It's um, it's it's not impossible to do. But look, you're right. You've just got to bring expert skill sets in, and I and I really do think the age of the the age of the generalist in our in our, our industry is is over. You've got to be a specialist in some area. Right. So here's another really good question for me. So I'm trying to build my own media business, right? Mm. And the idea for me is that I can have a microphone, a laptop, and a partner kind of with the same equipment in Tokyo. And we can build a media business from scratch with very low cost because now the barriers to entry are so low. It's good and bad, right? But in the old Mm. days, if I wanted to, like if I were Rupert Murdoch and I wanted to enter the entertainment business in the United States or the media business, I'd have to, you know, buy the New York Post, which is $800 million. And then I'd have to buy Fox Media, which was another Mm. few billion dollars. Which meant that if it were Michael Waits or Guy Hearn, I couldn't do that. But today I can. Yeah. Right. And that's what I'm doing right now. And, and and frankly, I think that's a great thing because it democratizes a lot of a lot of things. Right. But the one thing that, as you said earlier, the Internet gives us is this ability to sort of frictionlessly and seamlessly distribute things, not just locally, but globally. Yeah. So on the flip side, right, and I always look at things as like a two-way market. But on the flip side, it also means that sponsorship, advertising, like public relations can also, like the barriers to entry to that 
are also lower. You remember because you were probably involved. Like Omnicom as a business is just an amalgamation of a whole bunch of smaller acquired businesses that took place over really it's probably the mid eighties to the mid nineties and continuing smaller now. But you know what I mean? So how yeah. do you what do you do to keep track with like all the new things that are taking place from smaller firms? Do you acquire yeah. them? Do you want like how does that work? Yeah, so it's a it's a it's a really good it's a really good point because um uh, you're right. I mean, essentially, you know, media agencies like, like us, what we did, uh, we did initially was control the means of distribution, right? And, yeah. uh, and that's essentially what we did. And that's what record companies used to do and yep. travel agents used to do. Movie and businesses, right? Yep. That's what everybody, that's what everybody used to do. And you're right. There are a whole, um, lot of, um, uh, of not just, uh, startup. Uh, businesses, but, you know, um, other businesses trying to get into our field. So a lot of the, you know, the consultancies, Deloitte's, Accenture, right. et cetera, all are trying to get into the, um, digital consulting and, uh, digital media business. It's, it's true. There are, there are a lot of people trying to eat our lunch because the cost of, the cost of entry is a, is a lot lower. It's not that difficult for a couple of smart guys to put a, uh, to put a, a trading desk, uh, tra- a trading desk together. And it's not, and um, and to then uh, then go public with uh, with large amounts of uh, profit to them. It is it is a challenge, right? Acquisition is um, acquisition is one um, is one route. Um, Omnicom tends to be a bit more um, conservative about acquisition than some of our competitors, but it, it is something that that, that our competitors do. Uh, they acquire and acquiring skill sets is a, is of course is of course great. But whether just acquiring uh, businesses so they don't don't compete with you, I'm not sure is is, is such a, a good way forward. There are there are there are those means, or you have to you have to make sure that you're moving up the um, the value chain yourself, and that what you're doing is not simply um, controlling the means of distribution, is that you are actually adding some some um, val- adding some additional and new value into your clients. That means you need to expand the um, expand the range of services. So. You probably would, you probably be aware, but maybe not, not listeners of this, uh, divide that we traditionally have in advertising, you know, between media businesses and what are called creative businesses. Right, right. Um, and, you know, the, the creative being the, you know, the, essentially the guys who make the, make the films, make the ads. And, um, th- I think that's all going to come together again because creation of, um, of content. Um, is going to, is going to be the, the battlefield because just as you setting up a media business has never been easier, it's never been e- easier for somebody to, uh, to make a film, create a message. Um, the, the costs of entry are low. The ability to collaborate with people around the world is, is easy. So it's the content space that's going to become, that's going to become, uh, um, a battle between it's the different types of agencies and a whole range of content providers we probably haven't even haven't even thought of yet. And it's really going to be the success is going to is going to be about who can provide that um, that full uh, to market service uh, for, um, for for brands and make it easy for them and simple for them to do from taking you know their their growth objectives, turning that into a communication strategy, creating content that people want to want to watch, hear, or um, and share. And getting in front of them at the right moment, moments, and it's going to be a, a battleground that a lot of businesses are going to be in. And it would be easy for established businesses like ours to 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 lose that battle. And we're very well aware of that, and we're trying to innovate and uh, modernize as fast as we can. Yeah, and to me, like that's actually the most interesting thing. Interesting part of this conversation is that you, and by definition, your firm actually seems to be so aware of this sort of exogenous threats. And it's just interesting to watch because 
you know, when I was one of the things, one of the reasons why I left the financial industry was because I basically technologized myself out of a job. By building all the yes. real-time trading systems, my trading skill was no longer necessary, and I watched it happen. I knew exactly what was going on. We start, yep. when we first started building what we called automated trading systems and then turned into algorithmic tradings. You know, we had time slices and stuff like that. I, I said, you know, as soon as the technology catches up to my ability to not scale, mm. my role is done. Yeah. Right? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely, I think so. And I do, I do think that the... That the, the the agencies of the future may have uh, less uh, fewer people fewer people in them. Certainly, as I've said before, way fewer generalists, if not if not if not none. And the people left within uh, within agencies, there's still going to be room um, for strategy. There's still going to be room for creativity, but there's going to be an awful lot of room uh, for technologists and for data scientists. Yeah, so I think about this too, right? Like I said, just from my business building side and what it means from an advertising standpoint, right? A lot of media companies make their money by being sort of a platform to place advertisements. And I wonder, like, what is a firm like Tabula or Outbrain that are just running massive algorithmic businesses mean? And I'm wondering if you, like, do you deal with, not them in particular, but that type of business? And how do you think that works and develops over time? Because it's still new too. We do. I mean, we do deal with. Uh, we do work with our brain, yeah, and we we do uh, we do um, recommend and um, and have relationships with our, our brain for certain uh, for certain types of clients more in the um, you know in the high uh, high information space rather than the, uh, the than FMCG. So we so we do do that. I mean, I think one of the the, the things that I try to try to do although it's a it's a part of my job that i don't get as much time to spend on as i would like but i do try to to work with uh, newer businesses to find um a be they startup or not to try to find opportunities to work together to for a our mutual benefit and for our clients benefit so it is it is something that the that uh, is something that we try to do and luckily um in asia there is such a uh, um Hub of hub's not the right word. There is such a burst of innovation going on uh, uh, at the moment um, that there's lots of lots of opportunities and lots of things to look at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. And again, it gets back to what I'm doing too, right? I mean, one of the reasons why I love talking to you is because I feel like we're sitting on the other side of the we're sitting on the other side of the table, right? We're mm. trying to create a platform that's going to benefit brands and advertisers because we get to reach an audience that you know, other sort of larger media companies will never be able to reach because they don't know who we know and they actually don't even yeah. know what we know, to be fair. But you're seeing the same thing on your side too and that's why it fascinates me like the way you're using all this new technology and not getting leapfrogged by other sort of what would normally be considered faster and more nimble firms. It's just interesting to me. And so you'll also go out to new media businesses too to try to find out how to work with them and that that's actually awesome it's like an it's a massive incentive for people like i am and you know to be fair i talked to a whole bunch of other podcasters and new media people too for the same reason that like you said you hire to learn which is just a phrase i'm just going to keep using actually if you don't mind i will attribute it to you no but it's a great but it's a but it's a great way because what we used to do right i think the way people used to hire and this is slightly off topic but the way people used to hire one was really to justify their own existence, right? I hired yep. you know, Lisa because Lisa went to the same school that I went to, and if I went to that school, she must be just as smart as I am, and then everything's good. Um, <clears throat> and the second was just kind of to replace yourself so you could get promoted, so someone who had your skills so you could move up and they could just do your job. But mm. what you said is actually a really interesting take on this, right? I used to say I wanted to hire someone that was going to make me obsolete 
But that's actually the wrong way to look at it. The way to look at it is I want to hire someone that I can learn from so that I don't get disintermediated and I don't become old-fashioned in the way I think. And that's actually a much better um, strategy, I think, for hiring people. Not that this is a show yeah, about I, human resources, but I thought that was really interesting, actually. Well, I think I think it was, and as I say, I think it was that that moment when you when you when you realize, um, and it, it probably happens in every business, but the, that moment that you realize that you can't know everything, right? As much yeah. as you try, you yeah, cannot yeah. know everything, and uh, uh, and you just you just got to try and uh, and deal with the speed of change as, as best you can. And I find I found that method works for me so far. Yeah, no, I love it actually because again, just to get back to the human resources facet of this, a lot of people are afraid to hire people that are smarter than than they are or know things that they don't know because it makes them, like I said, look outdated. But mm. if but if you're open minded enough, and I feel like I always have been, if you're open minded enough and you hire people that are smarter than you are, just have a different sort of core competency than you do, then you get to learn from them, and it just means like your your usefulness inside your own business just becomes stronger and stronger because you know everything you've known up until now and then you know all the new things too and that's really powerful i think yeah yeah exactly <clears throat> that's the that's the, the that's the the idea and i and i think you know one of the things that uh, that <laughs> still on human resources but one of the things that gets <laughs> talked about a lot is um is diversity right and yeah. people when people say diversity they often they often mean in, um, equality, right? Equality of opportunity, and of course, that's the, that that's uh, essential to to put in place. But when I talk about diversity, I mean bringing people in from different backgrounds that add something new to the to uh, to the organisation, adds a new perspective, a new skill set, and just makes things uh, creates a bigger and better melting pot for everybody to to collaborate with. And I think I think that element of diversity, particularly for us in and maybe other industries as well, but for us. Us in the um, advertising communications industry haven't necessarily been that great at diversity in that sense, and I think we need to be much better at it if we're going to if we're going to continue to to prosper. Yeah, and I mean to be fair, I think that no large corporations globally have been that good at any kind of diversity for a bunch of different reasons. But you make a really good point. Diversity isn't just like your background and what you look like and where you've come from. It's just what you know and your perspective. And maybe those things are combined. Maybe there's a combination of those things for sure. But I believe strongly like you do, that diversity is kind of multi-layered and multi-matrixed. In other words, it cuts a bunch of different ways. And you're right. You know, when I sat on a trading desk, the people that sat around me on that trading desk were a lot like I was. Yeah, and that wasn't yeah. good either because, you know, in the same way that you want different opinions there, you want different opinions in any market, and that's, I think, always beneficial, right? And it cuts across all sort of however you want to define diversity, but I think it's really important. And to be fair, when we build our business, we want to build it diverse from the beginning so we don't have to bolt it on later, right? Mm. It's harder in a bigger business, but in a small business, you can do it from the get-go. And it's good to be able to exist in an environment where that is um, – possible from the start right because all those resources are available as well so the last thing i want to ask right and i mean i could talk about this with you forever obviously but the last thing i want to ask is what kind of feedback do you get from your biggest clients like i'd love to know what that conversation is like when they finally come to you you know because here's what here's what happens in my mind right they've been working with you for 15 years you know you continue to get better have more influence and do this stuff but then the technology changes and they say yep we'll use the new tech we'll go onto facebook we'll do some twitter stuff and then they come back and say are we doing the right like what's their view now that they've been sort of in this market for a few years and they come to you and say are we doing the right thing like is this really working and how do we know 
Yeah. So the so the um, the, uh, the 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 measurement challenges, right? Uh, as we as we said uh, earlier, are, are extreme. And you know, you do have to have a uh, a little bit of test a, a little bit of test and learn. New platforms coming online every day, and who knows who knows which will immediately right, which will work well, and uh, right, we which don't. Know. Don't. And I think one of the things that are, that has happened to a lot of our a lot of our um, larger clients is that um, you know uh, procurement um, has become a much bigger player than than used to be the case, right? And they're looking to see the to see the return on investment and efficiency and low cost as as they indeed they should be doing, right? But that's right. become a much bigger part. So you're having conversations with uh, with the procurement about. How you can demonstrate the the value of, uh, of what you do, and then this is why you're, you're running into uh, measurement challenges. So if you take something like um, if you take something like uh, uh, you know uh, econometrics, right? You can do it. You can do um, you can do econometric analysis of the impact of what you've done in the uh, on the, of what you've done in the past on growing you know sales sales volume, sales value, or you know foot fall into store or whatever it might be you can make you can measure you can measure all of those things the thing the thing is that all of that is is look, looks backwards right you can't measure the impact right. of things you haven't done right. and you're trying to and you're trying to to work out uh, all of this i think that um that our that our clients um are, are often dri- are driven by different clients different things but they're driven uh by by uh, different pressures first you know um, test and learn and experimenting with something new. Uh, okay, we have the ability to potentially to drive forward, but you know the stuff that we've been doing has been working pretty well. Right. Is there really, you know, is there really any incentive for me to put that at, put to put that at risk um, by by um, changing uh, changing something new? And to make this point, I would say that also that the people that with the you know turnover at um, at client level at brand level for us turnover can be quite quick right you you get people in um in senior marketing roles who may only be in those roles for say 2 years okay. now 2 years and a lot of the relationships that a lot of the relationships that you have i mean i would love to say that my that my brands within OMG that it's all about the the brand that the brand stands for these fantastic values and and look into and of course to some extent they do but a lot of it's about the relationship between individuals and the and um, whereby when an individual uh, at, a, at a brand marketer leaves then you got to start, you got to start again with somebody who may have different perspectives different beliefs and different experiences uh, than you do the same happens uh, happens at our side right when people leave agencies and go to move into a um, you know a startup environment, or they go off and work for you know what may be the more glamorous Googles and Facebooks of this world. Right? Right. Then uh, we've also we've also got to start those uh, we've got to start those um, those re- re- relationships again. So in order to I think in order to pers- to pursue uh, innovation and good test and learn, you really have to have a, uh, a a stable relationship, not just between the brand and the agency, but the people who are in uh, on both sides who are in that relationship. When when that uh, when that occurs, we're able to we're able to get good experience in place, put good work in place. You know, as you know, in our business, we put a lot of um, uh, set a lot of store by award winning work. We're able to right. get uh, you know the clients to to back slightly ri- the slightly riskier work that often is uh, that is uh, award winning award winning in the end, and those stable relationships really really help that. But where you have Relationships where it's either not stable from our side or fast turnover on the client side, it's much harder to get uh, to to get that done, and things tend not to innovate at the same rate. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. And we saw the same thing all the time, right? When the buy side trader changed, it was almost like getting a new client. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's got to be the same thing for you. Look, I think this is the perfect place to end and it's gone by much faster than I would have expected. But this has been a really fascinating conversation, um, touching on a whole bunch of topics that I hadn't even intended to address. So I, I hope this was as good for you as it was for me, but I, I really no, enjoyed this. Yeah, I, I did too. Th- and uh, thanks very much for uh, inviting me onto the, onto the podcast. And I, I look forward to downloading future episodes. Yeah, thank you guys. So I want to thank Guy Hearn. I'm going to get this right this time. Chief Innovation Officer. <laughs> so you didn't get it right the first time. Anyway, thank you very much. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. Cheers. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.